This episode is brought to you by Painless Pregnancy. In case you missed it, I worked with Painless Pregnancy very soon after the birth of my third baby, and honestly, I wish I had found them earlier in my childbearing journey. I am so excited to tell you all about Painless Pregnancy and how, no matter where you are in your motherhood journey, the Painless Pregnancy team can guide you through happy and healthy pregnancies, postpartum healing, and beyond. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can get 10% off of your first visit with Painless Pregnancy. Welcome to The No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, like beams? Pew, pew, pew. That is the sound I imagine when I address you all like that, like out of this world, babes. I love you guys. Welcome to the know where it is not about knowing everything, but about coming to know ourselves. I'm your hostess, Nikki Spo, and I am so glad you're here. Together, we are coming home to ourselves and coming to have a deep sense of inner knowing. And honestly, that is what life is all about, feeling at home within ourselves, safe, not alone. I'm really thrilled to host today's guest because she's a woman that I really truly look up to and admire. She's a woman who has been through some shit and has made lemonade out of the lemons that are come into her life. But before I introduce her, I want to take a moment to ask you to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And if you are feeling called to, please leave me a five-star rating and a review. Right, so today we are hearing from Monica Del Valle. If you are local, then you know her for her powerhouse yoga studio, The Break Free Movement. Monica has been practicing yoga for over 20 years and began teaching almost four years ago. Before that, Monica worked as a health coach and it was her passion for wellness that moved her to create the concept for her new studio, which offers fitness classes in a boutique setting. But there's so much more to Monica than what you see on her IG or even by taking her classes. And true to the no style, today we are getting a glimpse into the real essence and the real story behind Monica Del Valle and what helps her help people. Let's get started. Monica, welcome. I'm so happy that we have created the time and the space to chat today because before I even started taking classes at your studio, I always sort of admired you from afar for your resilience, your strength, and your ability to be vulnerable with your audience. And even if that was just like your local community. And I distinctly remember when you popped on my radar, which was with your lemonade messaging and your business concepts. But before we get into all of that, I would like for you to tell our audience what you're up to now, and then we can kind of backtrack and take a look at how you got here. I'm so happy that I can be on the podcast with you. I'm a huge fan of yours. I love your podcast. I love, I mean, I love you as a person, as as a friend. So I am honored to be here. I'm so grateful that I can share a little bit more about myself, about the studio, about my past. So what are you doing now? Like, what is your title or job, or how do you identify as a person moving through this world now, today? Today, I would say I am a business owner. I own uh, Break Free Movement in Coral Gables. I am, other than that, I am a mom. So that is my number one priority. My two girls that are, they're in these really fun ages. I've always heard, you know, the older they get, the harder it is, but I'm so enjoying them. And um, I just, I really am, I'm having a great time spending time with them. Yeah. How old are your girls? So they're seven and the older one is about to be 10. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. You know, as you know, I'm in the thick of it with three littles, right? My oldest is five and my youngest is 13 months old. And so it's just, it's a lot, you know, and I can see this a little bit with my two older sons where like they're starting to be able to like follow directions or finding their own sense 
of identity and their interests where I'm like, oh, we can bond over these things and I can connect with them. And it's getting to be, like you said, a lot more fun. It's so fun. I mean, finding that connection where I'll, I'll see a TikTok or something, I'll save it and, I'll, and I can't wait to see them when they get out of school because I'm like, wait till you see how funny this is. You're going to die laughing. I'm trying to savor these years. I hope I don't enter that the evil preteen years or the teen years. Maybe I'm, I'm hoping we can have this cool relationship always because it's been a lot of, it's been, been very fulfilling for me. Were you like an evil teenager? I remember I was always like a good girl, didn't want to get in trouble, but there was a there was a solid year to two years where I was like hated myself. I remember it was like I was 14, 15. I would answer back. The hormones are just like really strong. And I'll never forget my my mom had like on the way to school, I answered back and I had her handprint on my thigh the entire day or the entire morning. And it was the only time that she, but I was like, you know what? She should have smacked me in the face. Like I was so, the way that I spoke with her was so out of line. But I was, I have to say, I was always a good girl and, and I, I love and respected my parents always, but there were some years where I was out of control, just like emotionally. Yeah. It's really hard to sort through that. I feel like seventh grade was a really hard time for me and I was like full of my own hormones and like my attitude and I knew everything. And then it's so funny because I went on to become um, a teacher. I was certified to teach English to sixth through 12th grade. So I could have taught any of those grades, right? And I remember going for my interview and I'm like, I would be so grateful to receive any position except for seventh grade. And they were like, we have a seventh grade position to offer you. I'm like, okay, so we're doing this. And I just remember I had to change my frame of mind from being like, okay, these kids suck because seventh graders suck. Like I sucked. I was a, I was a terrible seventh grader. Like I was going through it. My life was like a mess and my hormones and I got my period and I was getting boobs and I didn't know how to wear bra and I was embarrassed and all this stuff. And I remember being like an adult and a teacher now, like teaching seventh graders and seeing these boys and girls. And I'm like, okay, you can look at this. Like this is a shit sandwich that you're going to have to eat. You got the, you got the position that you didn't want essentially. And I had to change my thought process to be like, okay, well, how are you going to help these kids through this, this weird wonky phase in their lives? So hopefully, I mean, I think we all hope that our kids are never going to go through that. I think we need to brace ourselves, right? To an extent that like they will go through their own version of that, whatever that winds up being. And that we have to just like do our best to prepare them for that so that they can have a sense of self-awareness, which is, you know, a lot of, a lot about what you teach as a yoga instructor too. I think like a big part of what you're doing um, with adults even is bringing them to a sense of consciousness and awareness and like having them center. And so how has being a yoga instructor and obviously like ultimately opening your own practice, um, how has that affected your parenting style? I mean, I am so much more patient my students are mirrors for me. To me, yoga, you're either a practitioner or somebody has told you that you should go to be more flexible. And then you end up falling in love with the practice of yoga. And you're like, holy shit, what's, what just happened to me when you're laying in Shavasana and you're crying hysterically? I've done that in your class, by the way. I've been in Shavasana crying hysterically. And, and you like go over to like put the lavender or whatever thing on my forehead. And I'm like... <laughs> So, I mean, so many students will, I'll get great feedback after class saying that was amazing when it was one of the classes that I was like, it, it took everything I had in me to teach where I'm distracted. And, you know, sometimes we're moving around the mat. I'm like, oh my God, what side are we on? But it just, it teaches me how to, to have a lot of grace for myself to, um, 
obviously to hold space for the students that are there, but it's taught me to be such a patient mom and, and realizing that these grown ass adults are dealing with things that are, it could be something small. It could be a real life changing situation, but it, it makes me really think like, okay, this is like my, my girls, like they have issues that they're dealing with as well. And instead of being kind of like dismissive or we're in a rush or let's get from here to there, I'm just, I'm, I find myself holding space for them too and really allowing them to, to, to share what they're feeling and acknowledging it, honoring it, and then trying to navigate it once, you know, once they share, depending on what it is. But on a daily basis, I'm definitely being less dismissive and more um, open. And intentional probably, right? For sure. Well, and they also say, like people say all the time, like little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. And then you have adults who have adult problems, you know, and just finding the space to, I mean, a holding, a holding space. And that's something I've had to get a lot better at. And I'm still working on for myself is like holding space for others to just like sit in the shit of life sometimes without like trying to fix their problems and just holding space for them and like telling them that they're go- it's going to be okay. Like I'm here. And I really wish for me personally that I had someone who was able to do that for me. Like when I was growing up, like, Hey, this is hard. This sucks. And you're still going to be okay. And I think a lot of people really crave that in general in life. When I'm going through a hard time, like giving myself a hug and being like, dude, I got you. Like you're safe here. And I think that as parents, like we can empower our children to do something very similar. Absolutely. I mean, at least I'm very conditioned to, or my parents would always tell me, but you're tough, but get over it, but it's going to be okay. Oh, ignore that. You can get over it. You're strong, you know, which is great. They, they did that with so much love and, and with, with, you know, not having the tools that I feel like a lot of us have now, but, um, but holding space means also just that generous listening, which is so hard for us to do because when there's someone sharing something, whatever it can be, if it, if it triggers you, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, you, our first intent, our, our first reaction is to let's interrupt and let's say, oh, me too. Or I remember a time because it's something that maybe they're saying that makes us feel uncomfortable or it's, it's hitting, it's hitting a nerve. And that generous thing I think is just so important. And I've definitely learned how to practice that. So I think that with social media and everything, people just like see that, right? I mean, obviously like we, we put out a curated social media, everybody does it. Right. And you have a yoga studio. Great. Like you made it. People probably think like, Oh yay, Monica, you made it. You did the thing. Overnight success, but anybody who knows people and the way that people get to where they're going must have an inkling of the reality that there is a story behind every success story. You hear the word, the term success story. Well, there's part of that story. It's not just the success. It's like, it's not just the destination. It's really, really the journey. Like what got you there? So what brought you to yoga personally? I was 20. I was studying. I was working. I remember I was just very stressed out at that time at home. I had, um, my brother was dealing with alcoholism addiction and it was just very stressful. I remember you just feel out of control. And I remember feeling um, very anxious. We were seeing a family therapist and I remember the therapist saying, you know, yoga, yoga would be great. Um, It's a great way to manage your stress, to sleep better. And I was like, okay. So I found a yoga studio, which was, um, which is by Dateland. I became obsessed with two different yoga um, modalities that are very strict. I started with Ashtanga, which is very like, you're, it's very disciplined, it's self-driven, and it's very different from the yoga that I teach now. 
And um, I just, as soon as I went in there, I was like, oh my God, this is what I needed. It took my mind off of what, of the, of what was going on at home. And that was it. I became obsessed. I would practice everywhere. I would practice at the studio. So that's how I kind of got into yoga. And it was really there for me when, when I needed it. Do you feel like you, own, you have your own style? Like, is there a definition for it? I mean, I teach a power yoga. I think many studios now have a power yoga, but I think the yoga, the studio, like you've been there is unique because it's dark. There are mirrors. The music is really loud. Um, I'm screaming over the music and I'm, I'm also doing the workout with you or, and I like to call it a workout because it is you're we're practicing yoga, but we all, I also kind of like push you to the edge. It's kind of, it's kind of the workout that I enjoy doing where you're really testing like your ability to hold the pose or continue to move or connect your breath with your movement in it. And I take you kind of to the limit. I know because I'm doing it to me, it's like that yoga that just makes you feel strong. That makes you feel like, holy shit, I got through this class. I think I want to come again. That or that was awesome. It's so challenging. I want to continue to do this. So um, I don't know. The yoga sculpt, which is the other yoga that I teach, where we include props and, you know, it's more we're targeting a different body part. Like it could be very glute related or, or, or it could we could really work on the core of that class or we could do arms. So that's more of like a little like hit session slash like sculpting yoga where it's like you get a little bit of everything. But I would say all my classes are, are typically very challenging. Well, I think it's also like a mind challenge too, right? Like getting yourself into the headspace that you can overcome this temporary discomfort. Absolutely. And it's uncomfortable. Yeah, which is a, a lesson for life really, right? Like I, I personally, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day, Monica, about like being so uncomfortable with the unknown that I was like trying to like reach for control, like where I can, how can I control the, the situation? And I had to stop myself because I was like, you know what? This is a mind challenge for you. This is a challenge of your brain right now to like release control and sit in this discomfort and know that you're going to be okay, even if you don't have complete control over it, as long as you just hold this this moment or in your world, your pose, right? To get to the other side of it. And I think that that's really strength building. I'm not just talking about like physical strength, like your core and your abs and your booty and whatever. Like I'm talking about like your mind and your body and your soul, like all together, right? To move through this. And I think it's a really great metaphor for life and life struggles. And I think that yoga really does a great job of reflecting that back to people. Absolutely. I mean, the term break free, there's a lot of connections I have to to the name. So we're going to talk about. Had the studio not been such a, it wasn't an overnight success, but I really was really embraced by the community. People loved it from the moment they came in. And I was so eager to open that I wasn't able to really market it, but it was going to be marketed in the sense of like break free from limited beliefs, break free yeah. from whatever's holding you back. Um, I wanted people to go into the studio feeling confident. A lot of people that are not regular yoga practitioners, they feel very intimidated. I can't stand on my head. I can't hold this pose. I'm not flexible. So I kind of wanted to take all of that away, create an environment that was welcoming, but also like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like I, I enjoy this music. And then um, also really get into all of the things that created Break Free, like by being mentally strong, by being physically strong, you're going to get over these limited beliefs. You're going to be able to overcome these obstacles in your life. You're going to break free from anything that's holding you back from from living like an authentic life or a life that you feel good about. So it, it, there was so much that I wanted to do that I still haven't been able to do because we've got, we're up and running and, and busy. 
but that really was like my my theme. So let's talk about some of those obstacles. And um, on the note of grief, um, how you moved through losing your mom, whom I know you were very close with, and you have discussed, you know, openly on your on your platform to an extent. Yes. So that was. I love that you said a shit sandwich. I call it a caca sandwich. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was 2017 and my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. My dad in the same week was diagnosed with renal cancer. I remember being in the hospital going from like my my mom's infusions to my, my dad post-surgery. Well, it was just such a dark time. I, I kept thinking I'm too young to be not an orphan, but you know, like I had just had my, my two daughters. They were babies. My mom had um, recently got a divorce from my dad. So she had moved in with me. She was living with me. She was kind of like my night nurse best friend. Like we were, we were super close. Well, you're also dealing with like the separation too. Like those are not your, those are your parents, but they're not like your the family unit that you might have been accustomed to. Exactly, exactly. And and it was, and it was a very, it was a peaceful divorce, but it was, you know, it was sad. It was sad. It's sad to see something, and especially after so many years. Yeah. But it was, it was that was, it was very hard to lose my mom, and I think. Had I not seen her suffer and had I not seen that such a gruesome part of what her cancer, the way that it that it played out, I would have had probably a much harder time with letting her go. It was such a such a nasty cancer that I was like, you know what, this is it's it's her time. I'd rather her rest because that's she needs it. My dad is still alive. He's he's actually doing really well. He decided once he like made the three year mark post cancer, he decided I'm moving to Ocala. Bye. Like I want to live out the rest of my life, whatever's left, living my dream. Um, so it's hard to visit him. It would be great to have a grandparent, you know, here, have him close. It was a very difficult time. And there are times that you, you know, that you, that you wake up and you're like, God, I need my mom. Like there, I don't know that you are reaching age or you're just like, I don't, I don't need my mom. Like I got this, like I'm good. So that that's hard. That's hard. But you just, you know, you can choose to, to to feel sorry for yourself. You can choose to say, "God, this is this is awful." Be, I could, you could choose to be angry, full of regret. But I definitely chose not to. I said, "You know, my mom would would be so pissed at me if she saw me feeling sorry for myself, making or, or trying to win the sympathy of other people." She would just be like, "That's awful. Like you were bigger than that." So I just remembered. I every anytime I would feel sad. I would honor those feelings. I would feel what I was feeling, but I I just would make a conscious decision to not feel, um, to not like, I don't know how to explain it. I would allow myself to feel what I was feeling, but I would choose to say, you know what? I want to honor her life in a way that brings me joy versus, you know, thinking about the fact that she isn't here. And that, that was definitely a, d- a difficult time. I also have my brother who dealt with addiction. When my daughter was, I would say two months old, had a an accidental or maybe it was an intentional overdose on um he also deals with mental illness one of his medications which put him into a coma he was we weren't sure if he was going to come out of the coma it was six months then we saw some signs of life he was living in new york at the time thank god um had a great partner and new york the new york care was amazing i mean it was really catered towards mental illness towards any type of um traumatic brain injury, rehab. So I feel like he got to the, the point where, okay, this is as good as he's going to get, especially after like a, a traumatic brain injury. 
But in 2020, his partner, I think it was just the stress of the pandemic, being in a small apartment together, was like, I can't do this anymore. And he brought him here to Miami. It was a challenge for me because I became his caregiver. You know, my mom isn't here. My dad doesn't live here. But that's just the things that have built up my character and that have made me the person that I am. I can totally see that. I mean, I, I there's an Elizabeth Kubler-Ross quote and I don't know it by memory, but I'll post it in the show notes for people. But it ultimately says that beautiful people aren't just, they don't just appear out of nowhere. Like you people, it's people who've gone through things that have really done that. And like the character building life experiences. And that's not to say, like, I like to make a point to remind people that it's all relative, right? Like your set of circumstances might be completely different from my set of circumstances. And one is not bigger or smaller or more painful or less painful for a given person. It's relative to your own life experiences, but these are all the things that make us capable and strong. And, you know, you, there's quotes out there that are like, you've survived every tough day that life has handed you, right? You're, you're here. Like I'm here. Like, and I have to remind myself of that too. And to touch on something you said about your mom and living the life that you want and what she would want for you. You know, I've talked very openly about my estranged relationship with my mom. And like, we had a very, very tumultuous relationship my most of my life. And I went through my own journey of making peace and forgiving her and allowing her to even forgive me like in the afterlife. I don't know shit about the afterlife. I just, I just believe in my soul that like she and I have peace now. And I've had to make some really tough decisions in my life, you know, lately, like in the, over the last two years that I'm like, Doris, my mom's name is Doris. I'm like, Doris would be so fucking proud of me right now. I'm like, and there's a part of me that feels like, I'm doing the work that Doris wanted to do on herself and for whatever earthly reasons, she couldn't. And I, I choose to believe that like I am an extension of her at this point and I'm healing. You know, there's a saying that like a woman or a person who heals his or herself is not just healing the generations that come after him or her, but they're also healing the generations, their lineage above. Right. So it's like if you talk about generational trauma and how it's passed down and down and down and down by being the strong one or not just the strong, but the awake one and who's awake enough to like deal with it now in this life, we're not only helping our sons and daughters and the, all the people that we come into contact with, whether that's students or just friends or any partners, whatever, but we're also healing the people that came before us. We're like saying, OK, look, what you went through, it stops here. I love that. And I think that's hugely powerful. And you're, and you're a testament to that. All right, my loves, I want to pause and take a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Painless Pregnancy. I have been working consistently with Painless Pregnancy since the birth of my third baby, and I truly cannot sing their praises enough, which is why I'm so excited that they have come on as a partner for the Know With Nikki Spo. Painless Pregnancy is the leading in-home concierge physical therapy company focusing on the pregnant and postpartum woman. Not only do they provide incredibly valuable services to those women in pain or dysfunction, but they also offer every aspect of wellness. This means that they take care of you during your pregnant and postpartum season of life. They keep you strong and flexible. They keep your pants dry and your sex pain-free. They even do all of the body work needed to maximize your delivery. If you are currently pregnant or have ever been pregnant, you need to reach out to them. 
They are skilled in assisting with like a bajillion women-specific needs, such as pregnancy and postpartum, obviously, vaginal and C-section deliveries, pelvic floor therapy, physical therapy, diastasis recti, urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, and overall having a healthy pregnancy. I know, I know, some of this stuff is cringe, but these are like real things that happen and oftentimes women don't want to talk about them. And you know me, I'm going to talk about it. So if you or anyone you know is on a motherhood journey, I highly recommend reaching out to painless pregnancy, no matter what season of motherhood that you're in. Use my code NikkiSpo10 for 10% off of your initial visit. For more information, be sure to check out the sponsors page at NikkiSpo.com or check out Painless Pregnancy directly at www.painless-pregnancy.com. Until every woman heals, having this team in your corner to take care of your body is everything. I also want to ask you how becoming a mother impacted your views on life, love, work, and your sense of purpose. Like, especially because you were so close with your mom. So my mom actually worked and she hated to work as much as she did, but she worked for in a bank for over 30 years. And she would always say, I cannot wait to retire. I know I couldn't be here for you. My grandparents were the ones that would pick me up, take me to ballet, yeah. would get home late. And she was always running around and rushing and never had the time. The happiest days with her were like a day off that she was off of work or that she could surprise me and pick me up from school. She was like wow. the happiest woman in the world. But, you know, she had to work and and, and she dealt with it. But I just remember her being so like bitter and whatever I could understand. And when we would have those conversations, she's like, I just wish I could have been more of like not a housewife, but a mom that was present for you. And I said, you know what? I never felt like that you weren't present. Like you did such a good job with the little time that you had to really be all in. And to and I felt your love and I felt that you were there and your support. Whether you couldn't be there, you know, you sent the troops like the grandparents and there was never anything that was missing. There was never anything that lacked like to me, she was perfect, but I did want to, I, I, I did want to do the way that she told me there, there are moments that I missed that I wish I hadn't. So I wanted to make sure, and I'm very grateful that I was able to, and I still am able to be there for my daughters, to be able to, although I work, make sure that I carve out that time to be there for that play or to pick them up from school. Cause it excites them and it, and it's important for me. Um, but but the way that it's kind of changed me, being a, a mother has changed, I mean, everything. You realize that your life is not your own, that your decisions every day have, you know, you wake up, but it's, okay, what is Monica going to eat and drink? But what is what are Colette and Celine going to do? What are, what are they being fed today? And what the plans for the week, the plans for the weekend, like you realize that your time is now shared and, and divided and you have to give equal time or you want to, you want to give equal time to people that aren't, I mean, that, that are other than yourself. So I feel like it's definitely taught me to be less selfish. Um, it's taught me definitely so much patience. And I think it's just taught me like this, like the meaning of love. It sounds so cliche, but I mean, it's literally like my heart beating outside of my heart. I see my, my girls and I just like, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. What I feel for them is so deep, so strong. And they've actually taught me with my recent divorce that they are no matter what, like your, ch your children are your own. Like you can get a divorce 500 times, but guess what? Those kids, they're, they're yours as, as much as they are my, my, their fathers, but like, you know, they're mine. 
So it's like any anyone else can come along, but but those two little beings, like they're mine and we're connected forever. You're their mother. I'm their mom. So that's taught me definitely with with relationships, even friendships. Like that's just that's a relationship that'll outlast any relationship, um, like till the end of time. Yeah. So it's also like I'm sure you've experienced this because you have more than one child, but it's hard to balance all of it. Like working, having a business, like being a single mom, you know, sharing your children um, with me having three. I'm like, I feel always, you know, it's funny because you're talking about your mom and how she feels like she's scr- she was scrambling all the time and doing this. And I, I'm like, somebody's never get, like one person at a given time is not getting attention. Right. I'm like, I am only one person. I ask my kids that all the time. I'm like, how many, when they start to like freak out in the house and they're like, like lose their shit. I'm like, guys, how many mommies is mommy? They're like one mommy. I'm like, exactly. (laughs) You know? And I always feel like someone's getting the short end of the stick. And I'm like, how do you balance it, Monica? Like, how do you do that? Cause it's hard. It's so hard. And now that my girls are older, they will let me know. Like I am, I need more of you. Like you haven't been around or I need, I need more time with you. And then I'll just like, if I, if I have a moment to like stop or meditate or pray and like the, the thoughts come flooding in, I'm like, you know what? I think she's maybe acting out a little bit or I've seen her a little bit off. Like I need an, I need a day with her. Like I'll, I'll play hooky, like I'll play hooky, she'll play hooky. We'll have a day. But I think it's like when I really sit and I'm able to, to think about it or, or, think about something other than my busy schedule, I'm able to say, okay, they need a little bit more from me, but it's hard. It's very hard to, to manage. I've definitely experienced that with my kids. It's like when I noticed them acting out, my initial thing is like, they need more, they want my attention. They want more of me. They don't want, they don't want, you know, a babysitter or, or a nanny who, who, by the way, I'm so blessed and lucky that I get to have such amazing caretakers in my kids' lives. You know, like these people are a part of my family. They, I love them deeply. They're good to my family, my children, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, nobody's mom and dad, as much as I'm grateful that I have those individuals in my life who I trust to be and care for, be with and care for my children. When I notice them acting out, I'm like, okay, I need to step up my game a little bit here. I need to like create more space. However, whenever I just need to create that space and time to be fully present with them. And that's really, really hard. I think especially as an entrepreneur, right? Because like you single mom, you're starting a business, you're trying to kick ass and there's only so many hours in the day. I really do believe that a lot of mothers can relate to that. And it's important that we talk about it. Yes. And I res- I think that the mom who has who has to have the nine to five or works the, the long hours and that doesn't have the ability or has a boss that she has to ask for the day off or she has yeah. to ask for that time that she needs to miss work, to go to school. I mean, that is, that's a superhero. Like that is, me wow um i'm i'm very grateful that i'm in, i have my my business and and i sometimes i have to make the choice do i stop teaching for example there's a night class that that i loved it would get full but for my girls it was monday night i would i was finding myself being so stressed out if their dad couldn't help me cuz he's also he's working getting an, a nanny in an uber to go get the girls than to do the return uber and i was like this is too much and like my girls don't deserve this my nanny's getting stressed out like that was, those are the kind of decisions that I have to make that are, that are in everyone's best interest. So those are the things that with time you say, okay, what are the, what are the things I need to sacrifice for them or, or even for myself, for my own sanity to not be stressed when I'm teaching or distracted so I can be there for, for them and, um, and just have like that smooth transition, but it's hard. Juggling it all is not easy. 
So Monica, you've also shared with me some of your postpartum experiences. Um, how important is is postpartum care? And are you open to sharing oh my God, your yeah. postpartum experience with our audience? Absolutely. So postpartum, I think that it is something that you need to be, if you're not, I'm very self-aware of my body. If I have a pain, an ache, a tooth, I'm like, okay, this is, I, I know what's happening in my body at all times. Some people, I think, and I think feel like that's a blessing and that's a curse because then you can kind of be go to the hypochondriac side. But I think it's good to be a little self-aware. But some women, I feel like they have they they will they'll give birth, and although they know that they can fall into like a, a crisis post post baby, I feel like there isn't enough information that will really tell you like this is what it feels like to have post postpartum anxiety. This is postpartum depression. Like I think that it, there's a big umbrella to cover with, uh, with all the things that you can feel. But um, I definitely didn't know enough about it. I was very lucky to, as self-aware as I was, to not have postpartum with my older daughter until I stopped breastfeeding. The moment that I stopped breastfeeding, it was either something psychological, maybe that like crash in hormones where I went nuts. It was like I thought the world was ending and it was this overwhelming anxiety that was crippling and it turned into kind of like this anxiety around sleep, but then it turned into, okay, I can't sleep because I think I can't hear my baby. Then you start having all these irrational thoughts, which come with, um, with anxiety, which are so many different things like black and white thinking or catastrophic thinking. And then, you know, luckily I, I sought out therapy right away. And I was able to, with the help of like cognitive behavioral therapy, because the thoughts were so crazy. I had never experienced anything like that. I had had anxiety or felt out of control, but never like this. These thoughts were wild. And luckily with through therapy and with a medication, I was able to kind of get past this. And I wasn't, I was never anti-medication. I was just like, why do I need medication? Like I haven't needed it to now, but I didn't hesitate. I was able to find something that helped me. And I remember my ther- my psychiatrist telling me, this is temporary. Like just that word was like, ah, okay, this is temporary. Then this should be fine. She's like, once you calm down, your brain calms down, you're going to go through this, um, you know, you're going to feel good. And then, then you can, we can make a decision together to see what the next step is. And then I remember I was highly motivated to have another baby. So that was my motivation at the time. Like, okay, let's get off this medication. And everything was, thank God it was, it was, it was a transition. It was a process, but it was okay. You know, I was, I was excited to have another baby, but I mean, the things that I was thinking, the thoughts I was having, the, the, the way I was feeling, it was, it was definitely like, that was when my postpartum hit me at that moment. Um, it could have, it was almost a year later, but I know that I was, I'm very aware that that's what it was. I really appreciate you sharing that Monica, because, you know, the fact that you experienced it a year later after breastfeeding, I think is really important for our listeners to hear moms, to hear new moms to consider, because I think a lot of us just think that it happens like right afterwards and that's it. I experienced it immediately. Like personally, I experienced postpartum anxiety from like the the moment I brought my son home, my first son home. I was like, not okay. I was definitely not okay. And I also don't know that my environment was helpful to that. Like I, like I was alone a lot, you know, and I had a baby nurse who didn't really help me feel better. Like I remember feeling like she was very judgmental about me being a mom and I was terrified to be a mom. You know, my own relationship with my mom, I was like, I'm not going to be good at this because she wasn't good at it. So I don't have, I didn't have a model of what it was supposed to look like, but I think it's just so important. You have the 
the guts to say out loud the type of thoughts you were having because I don't care what anybody says, there's still a stigma around it. There's still a stigma around it. You're not supposed to be having these thoughts about your kid or your life or whatever when you have a child at home because they need to be the first priority. And it's like, no shit. Like, obviously they're supposed to be the first priority, but like something, something happens. Postpartum anxiety and depression is a very real thing. And I think we need to have voices like me and you um, that are elevating this this conversation. Absolutely. And saying like, listen to yourself. Like tap in is therapy. Thank goodness it's becoming more mainstream. Like now a lot of people have a therapist. It's not as like taboo as it once was. Going on medication for a time period. It's like, I need to, I need to be well. I need to be well. So if this medication is going to help me like get through this hard time in my life, then like I'm going to do that because it's in the best interest of myself. Like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Absolutely. So that I can show up for myself first because they need me to be here so that I can show up for them. I'm all for it. I'm a, I'm, I'm an open book. To me, that was postpartum. I was pumping out that milk and I feel like those feel good, at least for me, that feel good connection hormone. It was like, and I was enjoying it. I actually, there's, there's some moms that, that the breastfeeding thing is not for them. With my second one, it wasn't for me. I didn't want to do it. I was like, I'm going to find, I hope that you, the formula, I hope that you can tolerate it because I'm not doing what I did with your sister. I don't have the time. It's not something I wanted to do anymore. I just stopped cold turkey, which no one had told me you can't just stop cold turkey. I had no idea what I was doing. I just stopped and, and then I like, I lost my shit. I just remember one night of no sleeping turned into a few and I was pacing around and it was like, hit me like a train. And so that for me, that was without a doubt postpartum. And when it comes to medication, I mean, I'm a huge advocate having my brother have his mental illness. I feel like had he been medicated early on or or diagnosed early on, maybe that would have helped him to not have self-medicated with drugs and alcohol. So I'm a huge advocate. I hesitated because I had never dealt with anything that I couldn't control myself. So I, it was it was that feeling of like being out of control, needing something else that's that's going to help me. It was like releasing that control. Um, and then I, in the back of my head, I was like, I hope that I don't have the same mental illness my brother does. Like I hope that this is something that I'm not going to suffer from. So all of those things didn't didn't really. I wasn't really excited at first to go on medication, but once I did, I was like, it was like a warm hug. This blanket, oh, wow. like it was like ah. Uh, this is what I needed. And then I started to sleep again. Those thoughts that I was crazy thoughts I was thinking, they went away. I, I was me. I was myself and I was able to to do everything I was doing. What about pelvic floor health and for women? Because we nobody talks about this and nobody talks about what happens to our vaginas and our pelvic floor when we give birth. And people are out, women are out there suffering with peeing when they jump and do exercise. They're having painful sex. You know, I obviously have hosted events around this. I am a big advocate for painless pregnancy and my OBGYN, Dr. Kamvangza, who treats women who have had pelvic floor issues. And I just think it's so important that we let women know that they're not alone in that. I will advocate with you. I'm a huge advocate for pelvic floor therapy or realizing that it is not okay to pee after you've had this baby if you haven't had any type of treatment, if you haven't if you haven't gone to see a specialist that can help you kind of navigate it. I actually had a horrible experience with my second daughter, I had a full prolapse. I remember the day it happened. It was the first time I exercised. I don't know when, I mean, by prolapse, there's something coming out of your body that you're like, what is this? 
And my, my girl's father's a doctor. I remember him looking and like his eyes were like this and he's like, you need to see your doctor right away. So I just remember feeling this, like, you know, you just give birth, you're starting to exercise. And then you're like, what's coming out of my body? What body parts coming out of my body? So luckily I was able to go through pelvic floor rehab, which really helped me that pressure, the prolapse, I was, it was able to resolve, but I had exercise induced incontinence, which it was anytime, but I would do a jumping jack. Um, any type I would, I would do any type of like fast movements, I would pee. And it was like, not like a little like sprinkle. It was like, sometimes my whole bladder would empty. So it was, that's awful. It's awful. Embarrassing, self-conscious. Like you're like, what the hell? How is this happening? Like the lack of control again, that you're like, how, why my body's not supposed to be doing this. My body should not be doing this. I should be able to do a jumping jack without like emptying my bladder at the moment. I would, I made sure I found the right leggings where you couldn't see the pee. I found underwear that would like hold, I don't know how many tablespoons of urine. I mean, I did it all. There was always a sweater on my waist. Even to, I even got to the point where I was taking something to help like neutralize my urine. I'm like, what if my pee smells and people can smell me? Luckily, I mean, after pelvic floor rehab, I needed to take it up another notch. I needed to have um, a procedure where they tied up my bladder back into places called the birch procedure. I'm so glad that, I mean, that changed my life. As soon as I had that, I also needed to have a hysterectomy because I feel like here there isn't enough awareness with like painful periods, any type of pain that you're having. I feel like you should check it out. You should be a little, if you aren't self-aware, at least go to somebody that can help tell you, okay, let's do some testing. Let's look into that further because I was full of endometriosis. I had no idea the heavy bleeding, all the things that I was doing to kind of put a bandaid on it. It wasn't until we found like a, a during some a scan that a cyst had ruptured that we found out oh you have like that's an endometrioma that's that's you probably have endometriosis everywhere. So because of that, luckily I was able to do you know a full hysterectomy and then to me the best part of the surgery was the birch procedure, which was gave me my life back. I can jump, I can jump on a trampoline, I can you know I'm able to do so much. Plus, the pelvic floor rehab I had done in between was life-saving. That was like, it helped my prolapse. It helped, you know, the quality of my life until I needed I needed the intervention and surgery. Monica, I, like, first of all, I want to say thank you because that's a really vulnerable thing to share. Like, no, not a lot of people want to, like, come clean about having experienced something like that. And it's in your sharing that you are able to help people. And so it's that vulnerability that like I love to bring to this show that I know people are going to message us about this. It's, it's like not even a question. Like people will message us because they'll be like, oh my gosh, I went through that. Oh my God, because we're not alone. Like you're not alone in that. Like, and I'm thinking, I think this all the time. I'm like, if I feel this, I'm not the only person in the world feeling this, whatever it is. I didn't personally experience prolapse, but I am a huge advocate for, for pelvic floor therapy. I had a glute strain that I found out it was because it was a strain that I had from childbirth. You know what I mean? I had no idea, you know? And so thank you. Like truly Word. thank you for being like so open and like just willing to share that very vulnerable part of your story with our audience, because that is what helps people get to the next stage or like plant a seed or be like, huh? Or like if they hear a friend who mentioned something, it maybe it's not even person. It's, it's like, it's, it's the trickle down effect. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Hearing the podcast and saying, or hearing us talk about a prolapse or, or thinking, you know, maybe things aren't right down there, or I shouldn't be peeing like this every time I exercise. Cause I just thought to myself, I'm too young. Okay. Maybe eventually 
this will be normal and and hopefully not but like for now i should i should do i want to do something about it to help just it's a quality of life but being vulnerable i feel like it's just it's in my essence but it's also something like i'm i'm an authentic person i feel like that is part of that's been part of my healing journey is to be very transparent very authentic very um very i'm very open to help others always Amen to that. So my last question for you is when it comes to being a co-parent and a businesswoman, what advice do you have for other women who might be in a similar scenario or who might be like wanting to pursue a business opportunity, but they're, they're worried about taking that step? Oh my gosh. I actually, somebody had mentioned to me, you should write a book on divorce. I'm like, no, I mean, I'm no, I am no, no, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but I was married to somebody to me, the most amazing man uh, on the universe, on the planet. I was with him since I was 24. You know, I'm, I'm 40 now. So I grew up with him. And and I, the only thing I would think or I would remember during this process is like at one point, I, we were madly in love. We planned a life together. Although we're exiting this marriage, we're making the decision to not be together anymore. Like he is not my enemy. He's the father of my, of my, of my daughters. Um, at some point we had all these dreams and, and, and plans together. Like, this is not my enemy. This is somebody who I've grown up with, who we've created endless memories with and like that I deeply respect, admire and and love. Like, so this is not going to be a nasty divorce, like over my dead body. Like I'm not going out like that. We're going to have to deal with each other every day. These are the things I would think of whatever, whatever tension we have, and let's say it's, it's, our, it's our sharing the weekend that, that he's taking the girls. They're going to, my girls are going to walk through the door and they're going to pick up on that energy. They're on that. Like, I hate her, your mother energy. Cause she just sent me this nasty email or the journey said this. And, you know, so I'm now sending my girls into that environment um, or vice versa. Like just the divorces can really consume you while you're going through them. They, they're, they can be lengthy. They can be, there's a lot of back and forth, you know, it's, it's, there's so much to it. But with co-parenting, the only thing I think of is like my girls are, what they're experiencing at his house is important to me. So it's important that they have that happy, stable environment. And, you know, like also the day that, um, that he moves on or the, the, the day that he wants to introduce somebody to the girls, it's going to be important for me. It may be feel uncomfortable. It may be difficult, but you know, that this, this new person will now be a part of their life, whether I like it or I don't, whether she's nice or she's not, but it's going to be my job to make sure she knows that my girls are important to me, that they're important to their dad, that their dad and I have an important, uh, like a very special relationship where there's nothing but love and, and respect. And, and, and the, I think the admiration is what helped this divorce go so well, because we both like highly admire each other. Beautiful. It it is. I'm I'm really I'm like right now I'm 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 in his house. I did I'm doing the podcast at his house because my house is very dark and the internet sucks. So I'm like, I'm gonna go to your house. But every life decision that we have to make for our girls, you know, we need to do it together. And any decision and even simple things like a report card, we'll read it together and we're like, you know, how can we improve that? How can we support her? Um, if there's any news that we need to share, I'll remind him, oh, remember Joel kind of like take it down with her. She's, she's a little sensitive these days, or he'll tell me, don't be upset with her. You know, like we're, we're a team and in front of the girls, we're still a family. Like the holidays are still shared. Vacations are shared. Um, when I drop them off, I come inside vice versa. So to the, to them, I think that it's been seamless and I hope that it, you know, I hope I'm not sitting in a, in a ther- therapy office in a couple years, like saying how much this divorce affected them. Cause I would be devastated. Cause I feel like I've done so, like, 
I've wanted nothing more than for them to feel like this is, although it's not normal, it's like we've done this with so much love and with you in mind. But my advice to women is like, you have to get yourself out of the equation, especially if you have children uh, and think less about you, think about them, think about this partner that you once had that you were madly in love with, like try to remember that magic or whatever it is that you had and try to come together for, for whatever reason, if, if it isn't for, for your own peace, um, for them, because they're looking at every move, Absolutely. they're looking at every like exchange of, of like the way you look at each other, the way you talk to each other, um, they're watching and yeah. it's important. And at the end of the day, like they're made up half of me, half of him. And that's going to be, that's the way it's going to be forever. So yeah. that working relationship, I think is, is everything. Well, Monica, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of wisdom, your experience, your strength, your hope, and everything that you are doing in your life and how you're impacting other people. And I just really appreciate your time and energy today. That's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Special thanks to Painless Pregnancy for sponsoring today's episode of The Know with Nikki Spo. I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to heal with Painless Pregnancy after the birth of my third baby. And I want everyone out there to know that they can have happy, healthy pregnancies with the professional help and guidance of the incredible team at Painless Pregnancy. Use my code NikkiSpo10 for 10% off of your first visit and check out painless pregnancy.com for more information. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams.